Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. I hope you enjoyed those last couple of editions, actually, of our show. We had a lot of fun with that number 11s and scary moments one, which, of course, you can still download. Uh, it was uh, quite an entertaining show. It's good to have Tuffers and Aggers and Mark Robinson on and lots of comments uh, as a result of terrible number 11s and their awful kind of traumatic experiences. We've had lots of those. So keep those coming in, simon.hughes at thecricketer.com, and uh, we'll read out uh, the best ones over the next few weeks. Now, today... We're going to be previewing this rather surreal test match series between England and the West Indies starting on Wednesday. And we're delighted to be joined, Simon and I, by a special guest today, all the way from Trinidad, Faz Mohammed. And the reason why we've got Faz partly is because his piece of commentary not so long ago is one of the most distinctive bits of commentary of the last decade. And we're just going to play you that now. Yasir Shah, his last ball of the series... Why did he do that? Unbelievable. Yasir Shah wins the match, wins the series for the first time for Pakistan. What a farewell for the captain. So, put us, um, give us a little background to what the situation was in that match. Yeah, it was actually just prior to the West Indies' last test tour of England in 2017. Uh, the series was at one all against Pakistan, last day in Dominica, last session. The West Indies battling to hold out for a draw to deny Pakistan an historic test series victory. They'd never won a test series in the West Indies uh, before. And then Yasir Shah, who's been the tormentor, of the West Indies in those three test matches, had just one delivery left in the pen- penultimate over of the match. So the last ball at the other end was Ruston Chase. He was at the non-strikers and unbeaten on 100. And you had Shannon Gabriel, the last man on strike. So all he had to do was just block out that last ball and then certainly Ruston Chase would have played out the final, the final over. The match would have been drawn. 
a, a lovely loopy leg break. He aims a big heave, gets a big inside edge onto the stumps. Obviously, why did he do that? Why did he do that? <laughs> and it is, uh, I, I love the way you, you summed it up afterwards because it was Ms. Hack's. I think it was his last test match as well. Last test for Ms. Hack, last test for Yunus Khan, and indeed the tagline for the test match. Well, you know we're on television, so everything is about a brand. It was Miss You. As in, we'll miss you, Miss Ba and Eunice. Uh, it was their farewell, and it could not have been scripted any better. Uh, the last <laughs> ball bowled by Yasir Shah in the series, the last test match for these two great Pakistani cricketers, and at the end of it all, and uh, a horrendous shot by Shannon Gabriel, and Pakistan get their first test series triumph in the Caribbean. It was a great bit of commentary. Um, how has it affected your life? Has it, has it been, it's obviously been replayed a fair bit, hasn't it? It, it probably has, but it's made no difference to my life anyway because uh, I'm not on social media. I, I, don't, I don't feed off these things, but it's always nice to hear someone mention it, even as we're mentioning it now at the start of our discussion. Fazir, have you ever had the chance to ask Shannon Gabriel why did he do that? I don't think I'm ever brave enough to, to, to come up to him and ask him that question because I, I actually he's a really gentle guy. Uh, you see this incredible hulk of a man and you think, well, you know, the first thing you say to him the wrong way and he's going to knock you into seventh heaven or wherever it is. Uh, but he's a really gentle person. But it's probably because you knew how much it hurt him to do that because I was speaking to Ian Bishop the day after and he said that Shannon told him he didn't sleep all night. He was virtually in tears, uh, being tormented by what he did and so on. But I suppose at some point you get over it. But, uh, but when, if he, he, he logs on to this podcast, I say, oh, my God, they're talking about it again. And it's some three years ago. When are they going to let it go by? But no wonder. Why did I do that? <laughs> oh, wow. It was just, it was just m- momentous, anyway, in, in, in a bad way, obviously, for West Indies cricket. But in a way, it's sort of encapsulated. A, it was a beautifully old-fashioned moment, actually, wasn't it? With a leg spinner bowling and everybody round the bat and the number 11 having a big slog. You know, it was take throwback to the, to the 1960s or something. Now, um, obviously, we always think about Caribbean cricket and... Um, beautiful sunlight and everything, uh, and, and how it sort of brings a way of sunshine into our world, actually, Caribbean cricket in general. But actually today, you're in Trinidad, and it's pretty overcast, in fact. And how, how's it been in lockdown for you guys in, in Trinidad? Actually, for us, throughout the Caribbean, it hasn't been all that bad. I, I think what our authorities would have done, they locked down pretty quickly. You'll have to, to, to remember that uh, our Caribbean territories are so heavily reliant on tourism that the last thing you'd want is to have a situation where there are widespread levels of infection and, and there, there, there's all the news traveling around the world that places from Jamaica to St. Lucia to St. Kitts to get all the way down to Guyana are having problems with COVID. For example, right here in Trinidad and Tobago, we've had a grand total of 130 uh, actual cases with eight fatalities. We're a population of 1.3 million. Now, the issue will always be about testing Uh, We really haven't done a whole lot of testing, but just anecdotally, even if you were to double the numbers or triple the numbers, they they really wouldn't be that bad. So I would say that in the Caribbean, we've fared reasonably well in in managing with this situation. And uh, even with that, we are still in lockdown, which is one of the reasons why I'm not in the UK to be part of this series, which I really love to to be involved with. But it's just one of those things that uh, at, at this moment, at this unprecedented moment, in our global history, uh, life and limb and, and health and welfare take precedence over everything else. 
Well, let, let's look ahead to this uh, tour. Were, were there any doubts in the Caribbean that West Indies should come to England? I mean, you know, obviously we, we've had, you talked about lack of infection, relative lack of infection in Trinidad and Tobago. Of course, you know, we've had huge problems here. What, what about actually coming on this tour for the West Indies? I, I think the, the cynical reaction was generally that if it were the other way around, if the West Indies were the ones with a lot of infections and were asking England to come, would they come? Or would we hear all sorts of long-winded excuses about why England would not be able to come because of safety and other considerations? And we need to be able to be honest enough with ourselves and recognize that this is about cricket West Indies who've taken a three million US dollar loan from the ECB, which we only found out secondhand. That that it's it's a. It's a an unofficial quid pro quo. Of course, they'll never acknowledge that. Uh, but Cricket West Indies are in desperate financial circumstances. And while they won't be making any money from this series, the, the, the way cricket is structured now, the host nation gets all the revenue. It is intended, essentially, not just to fulfill an obligation because this test series was already scheduled for the month of June, but it's been pushed back a month because of COVID. Uh, it's an opportunity for Cricket West Indies to show to the ECB and the cricket world, look, we're prepared to help in your time of need. And when we're in need, we expect you to do us the same favour. So, so is that, how has that gone down in the Caribbean or in Trinidad and Tobago where you are? I think people are actually looking forward to the series. Uh, they, they, they're expecting that the West Indies may not necessarily win, may not necessarily successfully defend the Wisdom Trophy. But based on what happened three years ago with that famous win at Headingley, uh, they're really looking to see if the team can get it together as well as they did, uh, certainly for that Headingley Test match, if not the matches either side of it. And, and that is really uh, what the fans are looking forward to. Of course, we've also got some other uh, developments in our Caribbean region. Guyana have had a general election on March the 2nd. They still haven't been able to declare a winner, and that has created quite a bit of anxiety. Uh, our Prime Minister in Trinidad and Tobago has just announced our general election for August the 10th. St. Kitts had an election a couple uh, weeks ago. Uh, so there are lots of other things happening that are detracting from interest in the cricket per se, but I'm sure once the first ball is bowled, six o'clock in the morning, East Caribbean time on Wednesday, people will be following what's happening. Is it uh, a problem that you, you've got uh, both Darren Bravo and Shimron Hetmeyer missing? I mean, I'm worried a little bit about the, the batting, the West Indies batting, which, I mean, traditionally over the last 10 years has been a bit fragile, hasn't it? And actually the players that did well on that 2017, well, especially the win at, at Headingley, Craig Brathwaite and Shy Hope, neither of them have, have featured too, too heavily. They haven't made too many runs recently, have they? So is that a worry for you, their batting generally? It's a big worry. There, there's no getting around it. Uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is the, the, the batsman who has the highest average there is Shamar Brooks, uh, averaging 34.2, and that includes 100 against Afghanistan last December, and he's just played three test matches. Uh, even Shea Hope, who you mentioned, he averages 27. Uh, his high point was that, that those back-to-back -back, uh, hundreds at Headingley, those historic hundreds. Craig Brathwaite, who probably should have gotten back-to-back -back hundreds in the same match just ahead of Shea, his, his average has plummeted from close to 40 to now 33. Uh, so w without a Darren Bravo, without a Shimron Hetmeyer, the batting looks even more vulnerable. And there's no getting away from it. If the, if the English bowl properly uh, and the West Indies batsmen don't uh, really fire, uh, it could be a 3-0 whitewash. Uh, so, so, so that is a genuine concern. Well, there's one guy that's done well, hasn't he, in the um, warm-ups, uh, which uh, a name who hasn't 
featured before. Is it Joshua De Silva who made a, a hundred and a fifty in the, the warm-up game? So, can you tell us about him? Do you think he'll play? Sure. Uh, Joshua De Silva is one of those players in the training squad, and I again because of the unique biosecure nature of this tour, uh, the West Indies travelled to England with a fourteen-man test squad, and then eleven additional players. To, to, to work with them. That's why they were able to have those intra-squad matches in Manchester. Of course, the last one was ruined by rain uh, last week uh, at Old Trafford. No surprise in that. Uh, but Joshua De Silva is part of that training squad. He's a wicketkeeper batsman from Trinidad and Tobago and actually was part of what was known as an emerging 11 that played in our regional 50-over-a-side competition last November. Basically, it was a, a coming together of players who didn't make their first 11s. He didn't make the Trinidad and Tobago first 11 was part of the team and they won the tournament and he's a, a pretty decent player pretty decent batsman I don't think he'll necessarily feature in the test squad I don't think he'll be drafted in because Shane Dorridge has had a pretty good run uh, be, behind the stumps and with the bat as well over the last couple of years but he's an example of the talent that is available in West Indies cricket it seems to me uh, Fazir uh, West Indies strength is in their their quick bowling uh, Kimar Roach, obviously very experienced, not far away from a, a couple of hundred test match wickets. Jason Holder, the captain, uh, world's number one all-rounder. What, what about the backup bowling? We saw Alzari Joseph play at Edgbaston last time. He didn't have a particularly good game. I mean, he is he made significant improvements in the last couple of years? And then there's Chima Holder as well, who we, we don't know much about over here, but there's a lot of excitement coming out of Barbados about him. I think there's a lot of hype as well about it and, and I think Roddy Eswick spoke out of turn when he he, he dared to suggest that the, the fast bowlers that are now in the West Indies squad can be compared with the quartet of the great eras. I, I think that's taking it way too far. Uh, yes, there's there's enormous ability. We've seen Kimar Roach and others destroy England in the Caribbean but, but the West Indies are always up uh, for England. They're, they're always fired up taking on England and, and that's why I think they, they've got a to fancy themselves with their fast bowlers. Alzari Joseph has continued to have problems with injuries. He's been in and out of the West Indies team, even when he featured in that series in the Caribbean uh, last, last year. He still had problems with injuries. Shima Holder is a, is a tremendous talent. Uh, he's someone from that West Indies under-19 squad that won the World Cup in Bangladesh. Uh, so he's, he's come on. Many people feel he should break into the eleven. And then you've got Shannon Gabriel. Let's not forget him. Oh, uh, and, and his ability with the ball. He so impressed uh, the coach, Phil Simmons, that he's been drafted from the training squad to the full test squad. So there's a lot of ability there. The question is, will they be able to put it together consistently? And will they decide, depending on what happens with the Aegeus Bowl surface, will they go with Rakeem Cornwall to complement Roston Chase? Uh, that will give them two off-spinners. So, so those are the combinations there. Yes, there's a lot of excitement about the fast bowlers, but if they don't bowl consistently well, uh, because the conditions in England, as you gentlemen well know better than I do, you, banging it in doesn't necessarily help, depending on the conditions in England. You've probably got to pitch it up and take advantage of the conditions. So they will have had enough time spending a month in the UK to understand what they need to do. England's batting lineup is is quite inexperienced. No Joe Root. I mean, there's an opportunity there for for West Indies in the first Test match. You look at Crawley, four Tests. Sibley, six Tests. Denlis played only fourteen. Pope, seven Test matches. Burns comes back. He's only played uh, fifteen Test matches. I mean, England are coming off the back of a 
a good result in South Africa, but as we've discussed on this podcast before, South African cricket at the moment, or South African cricket when England went there, was you know certainly at one of its lowest ebbs. I think probably you know as I said, I've said before on this podcast, probably the the, the least effective South African side since their return to international cricket. So I mean, you know, you look back to New Zealand, England, England struggled there. So. Possibly there's an opportunity there for West Indies. The other unknown factor, it seems to me, and Simon and Faz, you can come in on this, that we just we don't know. Players just haven't been playing. Uh, you know, we don't know what sort of form they're in, really. OK, they've had some warm-up matches, but, you know, that, that isn't really proper cricket. We, we, there are a lot of unknowns about this Test match series. Yeah, yeah, they are. And uh, I think that is where the West Indies will try to capitalise. Uh, indeed, when they played in the UK in 2017, there was pretty much the same discussion about the England top order, that three of the five there uh, were pretty uncertain. And uh, it was all about looking ahead towards the Ashes series. And we all know what came of the Ashes series uh, towards the end of 2017. So that, that's the, the one element that I think the West Indies will need to capitalise on. Early wickets uh, at, at the start of any England innings try to create some anxiety try to capitalise and really look to push through with their, whether it's their fast bowlers or whether it's the spinners because Roston Chase might have been gifted a few wickets but he got eight in the second innings against England in Barbados when they were sliding to that to that huge defeat. So it's really up to the West Indies to, to, to fire up and not just get carried away with the hype. It's a very interesting situation generally, isn't it? Because the, the, the impact of COVID has put everybody at home for basically three or four months. And actually, I think that there'll be a sort of physical element to bowling now for the faster bowlers and a mental element for the batsmen, both of them exacerbated by the pause in play. So in a way that the bowlers... I, I, it's, it's, bowlers are fairly simple souls, actually, uh, speaking from personal experience. And, um, you know, get back on the park. Yeah, you need a bit of miles in your legs, but... There's no sort of mental demands on bowlers in the same way as there is with batsmen. So get a few overs under your belt, everything's fine. Batsmen, I think, struggle, you know, if they don't play regularly. We've heard people like Jason Roy, other batsmen, talking about the uncertainty when they return of what, you know, what their skills are, what their techniques are, what their kind of um, style of play is even, really. I think it'll take the batsmen a bit more time to to get into it. You know, a few guys have made some 40s and 50s in the, the warm-up games, but nothing really substantial. And so there is an opportunity there for both bowling attacks to really get stuck in and, and get into uh, the, the the batting. And I just think probably from a sort of strength and outcome point of view, England with that sort of Stokes, Ollie Pope... Joss Butler, maybe Wokes at eight or Bess at eight or something. I mean, that's pretty good. And I think just think, you know, maybe there'll be a bit of fragility early on. The ball will move around. There might be a few early wickets, but, you know, whichever team probably has that sort of stronger engine room might well, in the end, prevail. And I guess the other interesting factor is going to be is the ball itself. How will that hold up, given that you can't, you know, lick your fingers and, and sort of smooth out those rough little patches when the ball pitch is not on the seam, um, you know, you've got to kind of find other ways of polishing it and there'll be a lot of rubbing trousers and things and sort of vigorous polishing, but whether that will actually have an effect, 
I don't know. So it might be that the, the swing bowlers, the likes of Anderson, for instance, might be sort of semi-nullified by the fact they can't get a great polish up on the ball. Who's going to bowl for England? That's, that's the other uh, question that needs answering. Uh, Stuart Broad has not missed a home test match for eight years. But he, he was saying today that you know, for the first time, you know, England got the whole battery of fast bowlers fit. There's Anderson, there's Archer, there's Wood, there's Broad and there is Wokes. And there's only going to be three from those five. And they all make a very strong claim uh, to play. I mean, it's quite exciting, the, the, the prospect of Wood and Archer playing in the same test match. Although listening to, Mark, to Chris Silverwood in the winter, there was a sort of feeling that you know, they would rotate the, the one quick bowler they had in their mm. squad through each test match. So, you know, say you have a situation where Archer would play one test match, Wood would play the next, Ollie Stone would play the next. That was sort, that was sort of the idea that, that came out from uh, you know, their, their, their thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Wood is, is going to be kept for Old Trafford because he's, he's a hard, abrasive wicket bowler and Old Trafford does tend to scuff up a bit and reverse swing, and he'd be really good there. I just think maybe they'll go with Archer and Anderson and perhaps Wokes in the first test. Because actually, that, so that leaving, leaving Stuart Broad out? Leaving yeah, Stuart... I think they might leave Stuart Broad out. I mean, I, I know that's sort of sacrilege, but I, I think that might, they might look to rotate Anderson and Broad uh, and... Wokes will be good at Southampton because he gets that little bit of nibble off the pitch and it does does a little bit there. There's a little bit of carry. I think Broad and, and Wood might be more effective at uh, Old Trafford, perhaps. Well, they, I mean, they, they've got a very intense schedule. There's no doubt about that, England. I mean, th- th- this series is quite intense with a small gap between each of the three matches and then straight into a Pakistan series as well, which is you know, very similar. So you know, it's inevitable in the next few weeks that, that bowlers are going to be uh, rotated. And, and actually, you look at England's game plan, and they, they have got this very definite game plan now, which is you know, this, this top order, which basically is there to you know, dig in, take wear the bowlers down, isn't it? We, we saw it in South Africa. And the, the other plan is to, to rotate their fast bowlers. So they're, they're definitely going to be able to do that, or it will be required of them, actually, in the next two months to, to put that game plan into action. We'll, we'll see it unfold in front of us in the next uh, few weeks. Jason Holder's an impressive individual, isn't he? Uh, you know, top up there as one of the highest-ranked uh, all-rounders in world cricket at the moment, captain of a team who are, you know, drawn from different islands and suddenly kind of uh, piloted into England to, uh, to, to play in this series uh, against the backdrop of Black Lives Matter as well. Um, you know, he's, he's an impressive individual. He's very, very impressive. I think Simon and Simon, you guys have experienced the Caribbean enough to have enough of an idea of the insularity that prevails in our region. If you're from Barbados, uh, you think that the whole rest of the Caribbean is against you. And, and as you go up and down the island, you sit in a taxi in Trinidad and the taxi driver picks everyone from Trinidad and Tobago in the team and says there's a campaign to get rid of, of, of their own players. And in that environment, to be parachuted in as a captain for a World Cup in 2015 at the age of 23, when you haven't really even established yourself as a West Indies player, and to be criticised from pillar to post 
up and down the Caribbean and to still retain your level of focus, your, de your demeanor, speaking to the public. I think he's an immensely mature human being. He's um, mature way beyond his years. And thankfully, his numbers are putting a lie to all of the critics who are saying that he wasn't worth his place in a West Indies team. And it, it doesn't mean that he will necessarily engineer the complete transformation of West Indies cricket, but I think a lot of people are gradually coming around to the realization that Jason Holder, as a man and as a cricketer, is a lot more than what they were thinking of previously. Who's the better cricketer, Faz? Ben Stokes or Jason Holder? I would say Ben Stokes is the better cricketer, but I would say Jason Holder is, is, is the better overall person simply because of what he's had to cope with as, uh, as a human being in a Caribbean setting. Uh, and, and there will always be uh, pluses and minuses on both sides, but I think Stokes has shown by his record what he's capable of with bat and ball, his sort of talismanic personality. Holder is a lot more understated, but as England found out last year when he got that double hundred, he can certainly turn it on when the time when the time is right. Yeah, I mean the series is built up here. The series is being built up here a little bit as, as sort of Stokes versus Holder, the you know the bat, the battle of the two best all-rounders in the world. Actually, Holder is, is is number one at the moment, ahead of uh, Stokes. I mean, it's easy to just push together the, the two personalities, the two captains, as it turns out, as well, in, in the first Test match. That's something we haven't talked about so far. Ben Stokes is, as England captain. What what sort of captain are we expecting uh, Yozza I, I heard a, a quote from Stokes the other day saying oh I'll go with nine slips and a gully and, <laughs> and the point that the point's been made hold on you can have no bowler or no wicketkeeper then um, <laughs> I, I think he'll be really good and I, I think that if you look at the sort of England players over the last couple of years often the captain goes to Stokes first a route or Morgan uh, will go to Stokes, you know, what do you think we should do now? Uh, sometimes the captain goes off the field, Root goes off the field, and Stokes is in charge for a bit uh, as vice-captain. And I, I think he's got, A, he's got, obviously, massive respect from the other players. He's also got a tremendous knowledge of the game. He's always got ideas. You can see him sort of at slip, you know, thinking about the game. You can, he's got a very active mind. Um, he's, he's been a great understanding of bowlers. I, I, I feel sometimes with captains who are batsmen, they don't really understand bowlers. But Stokes, as a bowler himself, will understand bowlers and will probably be a bit more tolerant with them. And I, I think, actually, it's, it's the perfect scenario for him because, obviously, he's a tremendous cricketer who's involved in all facets of the game. So to expect him to be captain for a whole series or a year or whatever is really tough. But for one game, absolutely ideal because he can stamp his mark on it without having the burden of, of being captain for the whole series. We should finish by asking what we think is going to happen. It's an invidious question to ask in a way. We can only be made to look like fools. What, what do we think is going to happen in the next month and these three test matches? Uh, are England going to win comfortably? Can the West Indies challenge them? Can West Indies win, defend the, the Wisdom Trophy? What do you think, Fazir? Well, as someone who's been quite comfortable being made to look a complete fool with all these predictions over many years, I'll say England 2-1. Uh, simply for the fact that uh, the, the point that you mentioned about Ben Stokes is interesting because I think what the West Indies usually rely on 
is the English media turning on their own players uh, after the first day's play, when things don't go exactly as everyone predicted and all of the, the, the second guessing and so on and so on uh, happens to take place. And, and uh, for, for the West Indies, uh, if they can recapture some of that, that, that spirit that they've shown over the last couple of years, I think they would have gelled together beautifully over the time that they've been in isolation. That might be a plus for them. So I think they'll be competitive, but the concern about that, the batting, that will be a major concern. I don't think they can, they can paper that over at all. And I think England home experience, uh, the fact that they, they've got some, some quality players, even without a Joe Root in the first test match, I, I think they should be able to edge it 2-1. Yeah, I, I sort of think 2-0 only because I think one of the tests will be washed out uh, at a crucial moment. Two of the games are in Manchester. Probably one of those games will have a blank final day or a blank couple of sessions or something like that, late July weather. Um, so I, I can't see the West Indies making enough runs to really put England under pressure enough to win a Test match. So I sort of think England will win 2-0. Um, we like your views, uh, everybody at home, on who you think will be the man of the series. I'm going to go for Rory Burns, I think, as man of the series. Um, it's a bit of a, a, a long shot, but I just think he's got that determination and uh, he's got the chance, obviously, to bat at the top of the order again after his injury. So I'm going to go with Rory Burns. Uh, Simon and Faz, name your... Man, men of the series, potentially. Uh, I'm looking forward to Joffre Archer playing against West Indies, looking to see how that uh, turns out. As for a, a serious prediction, I mean, you, you, yeah, logic tells you that England should win. I think what everyone is hoping for, though, after this months and months without any cricket, is a really competitive, sort of no-holds-barred series, really. Cut and thrust, really good, tight, aggressive cricket from both sides. And that, that's what I'm looking forward to. I hope the series is not a damp squib. Let's, let's hope that it isn't. And uh, from, from a West Indies perspective, I'm hoping for Kimar Roach uh, to, to get those 200 uh, test wickets and, and uh, achieve that landmark. And uh, if he bowls as, as well as he did in the Caribbean and pitches it up a bit more, which he's already said that he will to make the adjustment, I think he could be the man of the series. Even if the West Indies still lose the series, I think he could still have an outstanding three test matches. He does bowl a heavy ball, Kemar Roach, doesn't he? My goodness, he's a, he's a real tremendous, sort of hard-working bowler who uh, really makes the most of his hugely powerful shoulders, doesn't he? Faz, thank you very much for your time. I notice the weather's just ma- slightly improving in Trinidad now, so hopefully you're up for a, a decent uh, day of weather in Port of Spain. We'll be talking to you uh, during the Test Series as well. Uh, Simon, uh, you're going to be in the bubble, actually, so uh, good luck with that. We'll talk to you from from the biosecure bubble in Southampton on Wednesday. Give us who you think might be the, the man of the series in your view back home. Simon.Hughes at thecricketer.com. I will be talking to you every day of this series, reviewing the day's play. Thanks very much for listening. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.